All praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to send peace and blessings and to exalt the mention and grant peace to the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and likewise to his family and his companions. I would like to start by welcoming all of you to this brand new program, Seekers of Knowledge. And this is a program that is being put together and hosted by Jam'iyyat Darul Bir, the Darul Bir Society. And it's a program that is being taught in various different locations all over Dubai. And Alhamdulillah, I'm going to be the one who is, inshaAllah ta'ala, uh, taking care of this particular area or this particular masjid in delivering this program, Seekers of Knowledge. And the program is broken into parts. And this very first part that we're going to be doing is relating to the tafsir of the Qur'an. And it's related to the tafsir of the last two juz of the Qur'an and particularly uh, or along with the last two juz of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha as well. And it's going to take place over 16 weeks, insha'Allah ta'ala. It's a course that is open for everyone. And the participants who take part and register, insha'Allah, will receive certificates. And there is also going to be a series of questions that are given out towards the end of the course for the students to be able to take like an exam. So I want you to see this as a course rather than a class. So it's not just like a regular class or just a few words that we're just going to share every Saturday after Salatul Isha. Think of this as a course. But insha'Allah ta'ala, we're not going to make it too heavy or too difficult for people to understand. We're going to aim, you know, to start at the very, very basics and try to make it enjoyable insha'Allah ta'ala and suitable for a wide range of ages and also suitable for people regardless of their experience in studying Islam, whether you've studied Islam to a significant extent or whether you haven't studied Islam formally before, inshaAllah ta'ala the aim is for this to be open for everybody and to be enjoyable for everybody inshaAllah ta'ala. Over the next 16 weeks, we're going to be talking about the topic of tafsir. So before we start the topic of tafsir, it probably makes sense for us to spend a few minutes just to talk about what tafsir is. 
what is the word tafsir and what does it mean linguistically and technically or linguistically and Islamically so first of all in the Arabic language this word tafsir where do we get it from most of the scholars they said that the word tafsir comes from al-fasr that's a fa and a seen and a ra and this word al-fasr it means al-kashfu wal-bayan it means to uncover something and to explain something so the original word it means to uncover to sort of bring clarity to explain something or to clarify the meaning of something this is what the majority of the scholars said is the origin of the word tafsir it relates to al-kashf wal-bayan uncovering or highlighting bringing out the meanings and explaining what they mean however others among the scholars said that it comes from a sefer that is a seen and a fa and a ra and they said it is maqloob that means that it got the word is the the letters are not the same way around the letters are mixed up and if it comes from a sefer then the meaning is as we like we say the morning when it becomes bright to bring light to something to shed light upon something so either it means to uncover the meanings and clarify and and explain what things mean or it means to bring you know to 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 shine light on something to show what something means and those two meanings are relatively similar so if that's what it means in the language the arabic language what does it mean in a technical sense what is tafsir as we talk about it in islam there are many different scholars who have explained what tafsir means but personally i think if we just choose one and we focus on one that i think is quite comprehensive let's take al-imam al-zarqashi rahimahullah ta'ala what did he say that tafsir means he said it is a knowledge or a science so the first thing we're going to stop at is that tafsir is a science so islam is broken down to lots of different sciences right you have the science of aqidah that deals with creed and belief you have the science of hadith you have the science of fiqh you have the science of the arabic language you have the science of seerah and history islam has a lot of sub sciences one of these is ilm tafsir tafsir is one of the major branches of islamic knowledge what is the purpose of this science al imam al zarqashi he said rahimahullah ta'ala ilmun yufhamu bihi kitabullah it is a science by which we understand the book of allah it's a science 
by which we understand the book of Allah that was sent down to his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There's more, but I just want to stop there because I think this is a nice point to stop. This is why we came. This is, our, this is what we want from this sitting on every Saturday night for the next 16 weeks, inshallah. We want to understand the book of Allah that was revealed to his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's ultimately what we want from a tafsir. And since Allah Azza wa Jal has commanded us to reflect upon the Qur'an, لِيَدَّبَّرُوا آيَاتِهِ So that they may reflect upon the ayat. Allah has commanded us to act upon the Qur'an and implement it. But how can we reflect upon the Qur'an if we don't understand the basics of what is being said to us? And how can we furthermore act on the Qur'an if we don't understand the basic meanings that are being said to us? So the first purpose we have from tafsir is that we understand the book of Allah that was sent down to his Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and to explain its meanings So now Al-Imam Al-Zarqashi he went into the details, he broke it down into different parts of tafsir. So the first one that he mentioned is to clarify the meaning of the words, the meaning of the sentences, the meaning of the ayat. And that's one part of a tafsir. But it's not the only part of tafsir. He's going to continue with others as well. But just the first is just that you understand the, the, what the words mean. Because remember the Qur'an is the most rich and eloquent and beautiful language that can ever be. And so there are going to be words in there that we need to stop with those words and we need to ask, what does that word mean? And how do I understand this word? And is this word the same as that word or is it different from that word? So that's one part of a tafsir. وَاسْتِخْرَاجُ أَحْكَامِهِ وَحِكَمِهِ And we want to take out the rulings and the wisdom. We want to extract, to benefit from the rulings. So ilm tafsir is not just the knowledge that tells you what the words mean. Tafsir is also the knowledge of the ahkam, the rulings that the Qur'an is is explaining or is uh, or has been revealed to us these rulings or these you know sort of laws and and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act and what is halal and what is haram that's part of tafsir as well taking out the rulings but it's not only rulings it's also about taking out the benefits and the wisdom and understanding more about this religion of Islam in a more general way, outside of the ahkam. Because not everything is about halal and haram. Not everything is about this is wajib and this is fard and this is mustahab and this is makruh and this is haram. The whole Quran is not about that. Rather there are 
points of benefit and elements which come under al-hikam, any wisdom, points of wisdom, points of benefit that you take out. And then Imam al-Zarqashi, he says, how we do this? He said, وَاسْتِمْدَادُ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عِلْمِ اللُّغَةِ وَالنَّحْوِ وَالتَّصْرِيفِ وَالْبَيَانِ وَأُصُولِ الْفِقْهِ وَالْقِرَاءَاتِ He said, we're going to support this. We're going to, this, this purpose, we're going to explain the meanings and take out the rulings and the benefits. We're going to be supported in this by the knowledge of the Arabic language, grammar and morphology, the knowledge of the, of, uh, Al-Bayan, you can say it to do with eloquence and how, you know, the way that the Qur'an explains things and conveys to us, the knowledge of usul al-fiqh and the knowledge of the different qira'at, the different ways of reciting the Qur'an. He said also, وَيُحْتَاجُ إِلَى مَعْرِفَةِ أَسْبَابِ النُّزُولِ وَالنَّاسِخِ وَالْمَنْسُوخِ and also what is needed is knowing the reasons for the ayat being revealed. Why was this particular ayah revealed? And also knowing the ayat which have been abrogated, those rulings no longer apply, and the ayat which replaced and abrogated them. That's a lot of explanation right there. But the main thing I wanted you to take from this is actually, is that our, our primary goal with tafsir is to understand the book of Allah. That's our goal, to understand the Qur'an. And that it is more than just meanings. It's more than just this word means this and this word means this. That's part of it, but also part of it is to take out the rulings, the halal and the haram and the wajib and the mustahab and the makruh. And also a part of it is to take out the benefits and the points of wisdom that we can benefit from in our lives and we can implement. And also to understand that tafsir is built upon all of the other sciences of Islam. And what I mean by that is that it can be said that tafsir is the hardest or one of the hardest of the sciences of Islam because it requires all of the other sciences of Islam. How is that? For example, tafsir is often narrated to us in a hadith. We need to know whether the hadith is authentic or not authentic. Tafsir is sometimes from the different qira'at, the different styles of reading. So we need to know those. Tafsir is also based upon the Arabic language and all of its different parts. So we need to also have some knowledge of that as well. It's built upon rulings and, and laws. And so we need to have knowledge of how to take rulings and laws out of the... So it's something is very complicated. It's something that has a lot of different parts to it. And you can say that tafsir, every other science of Islam is needed in order to understand the meaning of the Quran. So you need every 
one of the Islamic sciences to be able to make tafsir or to be able to study the tafsir of the Qur'an. We've talked about what tafsir is. But I don't think it would be right for us to begin without talking a little bit about some of the virtues of tafsir and or the virtues of learning the Qur'an. Because, wallah, we want to give some inspiration. We want to answer the question if someone said, why should or what is the benefit for me to spend the next 16 weeks every Saturday night after Salatul Isha to study this particular science? What is the virtue of it? What's the reward of it? And for that, I'm going to start with a hadith narrated by Al-Imam Muslim in which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, وَمَجْتَمَعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتٍ مِّن بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَيَتَدَارَسُونَهُ بَيْنَهُمْ إِلَّا نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ وَغَشِيَتْهُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَحَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَذَكَرَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَنْ عِنْدَهِ the Prophet وسلم, he said, no people gather together in a house from one of the houses of Allah, reciting the book of Allah and studying it together, except that Sakina comes down to them. Tranquility and peace descends upon the gathering. And Allah's mercy encompasses them or covers them and the angels surround them. And Allah mentions them to those who are with him, i.e. the highest and the most noble of the angels that are with him. That's four reasons why we should sit in the masjid and study tafsir. Number one, when we sit in the masjid and we recite the Qur'an and we study it together, we get sakina, tranquility, and peace. Number two, it's a reason for Allah's mercy to envelop you and to cover you. Number three, it brings the angels. And when the angels surround you, what do you think happens to the shayateen? The shayateen and the angels, they don't come together. And when the angels come and the angels surround you, then the shayateen are far away. It pushes the shaitan away. And Allah mentions these people to those who are with him, to al-mala'ul a'la, the highest and the most noble of the angels that are with him. And as we said, the hadith is in, Sahih Muslim. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said in a hadith narrated by Imam al-Bukhari, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَهِ The best of you are those who study the Qur'an and those who teach it. So it's a reason to have that title of being among the best of all the people. 
to be someone who studies the Qur'an and someone who teaches the Qur'an. And the last benefit that I'm going to mention, and there are so many, there are books on this topic alone, you could write a, a volumes just on the topic of the virtue of studying the Qur'an, but I just want to mention one more. And it is a hadith narrated by Imam Ibn Majah, and Sheikh Al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala said it is hadith sahih, it's an authentic hadith. From the hadith of Anas ibn Malikin radiallahu an, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna lillahi ahlina minan nas. Allah has special people among his servants. قَالُوا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ مَنْهُمْ They said, O Messenger of Allah, who are these special people? قَالَ هُمْ أَهْلُ الْقُرْآنِ أَهْلُ اللَّهِ وَخَاصَّتُهُ He said, they are the people of the Qur'an. Allah's special chosen people. The people who get the title, أَهْلُ اللَّهِ Allah's people. The people who get the title that they are Allah's people and Allah's special chosen servants. Ahlullahi wa khasatu. Allah's people and Allah's special chosen servants. They are the people of the Quran. Now we have to ask ourselves a question now. What is it? What does it mean then to be from the people of Allah or the people of the Qur'an. I'm going to quote you some words from Muhammad ibn al-Husayn al-Ajurri rahimahullah ta'ala in his book Akhlaq Hamalat al-Qur'an The manners of the one who carries the Qur'an, i.e. who memorizes the Qur'an, carries the Qur'an in his heart. He said, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and I'll quote you in English so we save time. He said, for the one whom Allah has enabled to learn the Qur'an and favored him over others who have not learned the Qur'an, and he wants to be one of the people of the Qur'an, one of Allah's people, and those who are closest and chosen to, by Allah, it is essential for him to make the Qur'an Rabi'a qalbihi The joy of his heart The joy of his heart He has to make the Qur'an The thing that brings joy to his heart So that he can cure the sicknesses of his heart through the Qur'an and he should follow the teachings of the Qur'an and should take to noble attitude and behavior that will make him stand out from the people who do not read the Qur'an. He then said, the first thing he should do is to have taqwa of Allah in private and public. And to be careful about how he acquires his food, drink, clothing, and accommodation. 
He should be aware of the time and the environment in which he lives and the extent of corruption among the people of his time. He should be careful with people lest they have a negative impact on his religious commitment. He should focus on his own self and strive his utmost to, ch to change what is wrong with his attitude and his behavior. He should guard his tongue and be careful in his speech, speaking on the basis of knowledge if he thinks that speaking will serve a purpose and remaining silent on the basis of knowledge if he thinks that remaining silent will serve a purpose. He should not interfere in that which doesn't concern him and he should be more fearful of his own tongue than of his enemies. He should laugh little at things at which people laugh because of the bad consequences of laughter. He should have a cheerful, uh, sort of a cheerful approach when meeting people and speak word of, words of kindness. And he should not backbite anyone, look down on anyone, revile anyone, or rejoice in the misfortune of anyone, or transgress against anyone or envy anyone. For he has taken the Quran and the Sunnah and the understanding of Islamic teachings as his guide in order for him to acquire every single good aspect of manners. He should guard all of his physical faculties against doing what is forbidden. If words of truth is spoken to him, he should accept them, whether they come from someone younger or someone older. He should seek prominence from Allah, not from the people. He should hate arrogance and fear falling into it. He should not earn a living by means of the Quran or try to use the Quran to meet his needs. And he should not use it as a means of establishing connections with people of authority. He should not sit with rich people to recite Quran for them so they may honor him with gifts. He should be content with little and it would suffice him. He should guard himself against worldly adornments and anything which would make him transgress the limits and follow the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. When he eats and drinks and clothes and sleeps, or when he engages in intimacy with his wife or interacts with his brothers in faith and visits them, he should do so on the basis of what he has learned from the teachings of Islam. He should commit himself to honoring his parents. If they seek his help in doing something that is pleasing to Allah, he should help them. But if they seek his help in doing something displeasing to Allah, he should not help them. If he disobeys them with regard to a sinful matter, he should still treat them with kindness so they might give up the intended evil deed which was not right for them to do. He should uphold the ties of kinship and dislike severing ties. And if someone cuts him off, he doesn't cut them off in turn. If anyone disobeys Allah with regard to him, he should obey Allah with regard to that person. He is gentle and kind in all of his affairs, patient in teaching good. The one who is learning from him will feel at ease with him. And the one who sits with him is happy to do so because sitting with him is beneficial. He refers to knowledge and understanding as a way to guide him to everything that is good. When he studies the Quran, he does so with focus of mind. His main aim in doing so is to understand what Allah made obligatory for him, to follow his commands and heed his prohibitions. His concern is not when will I finish the surah, rather his concern is when will I realize that Allah is sufficient for me and I need no one else? When will I be one of the pious? When will I be one of the doers of good? When will I be one of those who put their trust in Allah? When will I be one of those who fear Allah? When will I be one of the patient? When will I be able to understand the words of Allah? When will I be able to understand what I'm reciting? When will I be able to gain control of my nafs and restrain its desires? When will I truly strive in Allah's cause? When will I pay heed to the warnings of the Quran? When will I be focused on the remembrance of Allah? So focused on the remembrance of Allah that I will not be distracted by anything else. Whoever is like this, 
or close to it, then he is truly reciting the Qur'an as it should be recited and paying proper care and attention to it. The Qur'an will be a witness, an intercessor, a comforter and a protection for him. Whoever is like that will benefit himself and his family and will be a source of goodness for his parents and his children in this world and in the hereafter. That's a very long quote. But the reason I quoted it in full is I wanted you to really understand that this knowledge that you gain from the Qur'an is supposed to have a profound effect upon you. It's supposed to change everything about you. Every kind of behavior, every, the way that, even the way that you dress, even the way that you appear, the way that you speak, the way that you laugh. Every single thing that you do is supposed to be changed by your study of the Qur'an. And it's not about finishing the surah and it's not about being a hafiz. It's not about being someone who has read so many books of tafsir. But it's about your own actions and acting upon the Qur'an in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to do and loves for you to do. So with that being said, we're going to begin insha'Allah ta'ala with Surah Al-Fatiha. We're going to begin with Surah Al-Fatiha and particularly or starting off with the name of the surah itself and a little bit of information or a little bit of background as to the surah. Surah Al-Fatiha has a number of different names. From the names of Surah Al-Fatiha is that it is called Al-Fatiha or it is called Fatihatul Kitab. The opening or the opening of the book. And that is because First of all, that it is the first surah in the order of the Mus'haf. So when you open the Mus'haf, the first surah that you see is Surah Al-Fatiha. And so it is the opening chapter of the book. But there is another reason also why we can say that Surah Al-Fatiha has its name. And that is because it is an opening or an introduction to the Qur'an. And this also leads us to another of the names of Surah Al-Fatiha, which is that it is called Ummul Qur'an. Ummul Qur'an. And the word Umm, usually we say, we translate it as meaning mother. But here, what does Umm really mean? 
Um, it means aslu shay, the origin of something or the core of something, the heart of something. And the thing which everything goes back to. So for example, if you have, let's say, 10 siblings, 10 brothers and sisters, all of those 10 brothers and sisters go back to a single woman. That's their mother. Ummuhum. And so all of her children go back to her. Likewise, anything that you can say that everything goes back to it can be called Umm. And that's why Makkah is called Ummul Qura, the mother of the towns. And the most important also. Another meaning of the word Umm is the one that has the most importance, the most important one. So what can we understand by Surah Al-Fatiha being called Umm Al-Qur'an? We can understand from this that Surah Al-Fatiha is like a summary or a, if you like, uh, it, the whole of the meanings of the Qur'an come back to Surah Al-Fatiha or Surah Al-Fatiha is like a summary to the whole or of the whole of the Quran. It's actually said by some of the scholars of Tafsir that the Quran itself is brings together or gathers together the knowledge of all of the previous revelation. So the Quran is like a summary or a, it brings together all of the knowledge of everything that was revealed to the prophets and the messengers all of it is brought together and summarized within the quran likewise surah al-fatiha is like a summary or a guide to the rest of the quran the most important messages the most important themes the most important points of benefit are found within surah al-fatiha and then are expanded upon in the rest of the Qur'an. And it is said that Surah Al-Fatiha, was the Surah, or it said it was the Surah that was revealed completely, or the first one to be revealed completely. This is also one of the things that they say about it being Al-Fatiha, the opening. That it was the first to be revealed in complete form from beginning to end. And according to the stronger opinion, it is Suratun Makkiyah. It's a Makki Surah. It was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah. From the names of Surah Al-Fatiha is Al-Qur'an Al-Azim. Surah Al-Fatiha is the great Qur'an. Again, we ask the question, why did the Prophet wasallam describe one Surah as being the Qur'an? Because like we said, it contains a summary or it contains a guide to the rest of the 
surah or the surah of the Quran. From the names of Surah Al-Fatiha is As-Sab'ul Mathani, the seven oft repeated ayat, the seven ayat that we repeat again and again and again. It's called As-Sab'ul al Mathani because it has seven ayat. And all of the scholars of Tafsir agreed that Surah Al-Fatiha has seven ayat. They disagreed on where exactly those ayat break up the, the, the lines with, or the, within the surah, but they agreed that there are seven ayat. And it's called Al-Mathani because it is something that you recite in every single prayer. The Prophet said in an authentic hadith narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب There is no prayer for the one who does not recite فاتحة الكتاب There is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite it. So that's a unique quality of Surah Al-Fatiha that makes it different from the other surahs of the Qur'an because there is no other surah of the Qur'an that you have to recite in your prayer except Surah Al-Fatiha and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said about Surah Al-Fatiha هِيَ أَعْظَمُ الصُّوَرِ فِي الْقُرْآنِ it is the greatest of all of the chapters of the Qur'an, all of the surahs of the Qur'an. So it is the greatest of all of the surahs of the Qur'an. There are actually lots of other uh, important benefits about Surah Al-Fatiha, but I'm just going to mention one of them that Surah Al-Fatiha is a means to seek shifa from Allah It's a means to seek a cure from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَمَا يُدَرِيكَ أَنَّهَا رُقْيَةً What made you know that Surah Al-Fatiha was a ruqya? وَمَا يُدَرِيكَ أَنَّهَا رُقْيَةً قَدْ أَصَبْتُمْ You did the right thing. So the Prophet ﷺ described it as a ruqya, as a means of reciting this surah in order to seek a cure from the illnesses, whether they are the sicknesses of the heart or the sicknesses of the mind or the sicknesses of the body or the sicknesses of the paranormal or whatever it may be, to recite Surah Al-Fatiha for that purpose. And when the Sahaba, or one of the Sahaba did this, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, "Qad asabtum, you did the right thing. When they found someone that had been bitten by a snake or a scorpion and they recited Surah Al-Fatiha over that person, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Qad asabtum, you did the right thing. These are just a few points as we introduce Surah Al-Fatiha. Otherwise, it would take the rest of the 16 weeks just to finish Surah Al-Fatiha. But we just wanted to highlight some benefits and some points and some things to make you think and to make you reflect. 
I'm only going to do one more thing this evening because I'm conscious that we said that the class will be between 45 minutes to an hour. So we don't want to make it so long that everyone you know, feels tired and feels that it's burdensome. We want to make it easy, inshallah. I just want to start with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is an introduction to the Quran and to Surah Al Fatiha. Allah began the Quran with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And Allah began or introduced Surah Al Fatiha with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. The scholars differed over whether it is an ayah or not from Surah Al-Fatiha. But they agreed that it's a part of an ayah of the Qur'an because of the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, إِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانِ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ So Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is part of an ayah for sure. But the question is, is it an ayah in Surah Al-Fatiha or is it an introduction or, an, you know, sometimes they call it an introductory ayah or something like that. Is it an introduction to the surah? When we look at Surah Al-Fatiha and we look at the hadith, which is one of, I believe it's a very important hadith which, with regard to Surah Al-Fatiha, which is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divided the prayer. It's the hadith of Abi Huraira radiallahu anhu. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Qala Allahu ta'ala, Allah the Exalted said, Qasamtu salata bayni wa bayna abdi nisfain. I divided the prayer between me and my servant in half. I divided the prayer between me and my servant in half. إِذَا قَالَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى حَمَدَنِي عَبْدِي When Allah says, Alhamd, when, the, when the person says who is praying, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah says, my servant has praised me. When the servant says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah says, Athna alayya abdi. My servant has glorified me through praise. When the servant says, Maliki Yawmiddin, Qala Allahu Ta'ala, Majjadani Abdi. When the servant says, Maliki Yawmiddin, Allah says, My servant has glorified me. When Allah, when the servant says, Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nasta'een, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Hada bayni wa bayna abdi nisfain. This is divided between me and my servant in half. وَإِذَا قَالْ إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ إلى آخره قال الله تعالى هذا لِعَبْدِ وَلِعَبْدِ مَا سَأَلْ This is for my servant and my servant will have what he asked. This hadith, we're going to go into it later in next lesson in more detail because when we learn what the meaning of Surah Al-Fatiha is, inshaAllah ta'ala next lesson. But what we wanted to talk about here is that when the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah split Surah Al-Fatiha in half, he began with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen and he made the middle part Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nasta'in. So this indicates to us that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is not the first ayah 
in Surah Al-Fatiha. The first ayah is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is an introduction to the Surah or it is an, an introductory ayah that is not part of the ayat of Surah Al-Fatiha but it comes before it as an introduction and then Surah Al-Fatiha begins with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. This is what appears to be from this hadith. So what about Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim very quickly? The first thing we're going to ask ourselves is this ba that we say, the letter ba, bismillah, bi, here when we say bismillah, this letter ba here. Don't worry, we're not going to do every letter. We're not going to do Surah Al-Fatiha letter by letter. Don't worry. But just here, we have to ask ourselves this ba, what does it mean? You know prepositions in Arabic like ba and fi and ila and ala, they have lots of different meanings, right? I mean, maybe you noticed if you learned some, some small Arabic phrases that it means a different thing every time. That's why we have to stop and ask ourselves, what does the ba mean? Because the ba has lots of different meanings. Here, the scholars, they say the ba, it is lil isti'ana. It means asta'inu bika ya Allah. Oh Allah, I seek your help that little ba just the ba there nothing else bi we didn't even say bismillah bi just that ba bi it means i seek your help o allah and whenever you ask allah for help or you make dua to allah you try to come near to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the greatest way that you can come near to Allah is through his names and his attributes. So there are two reasons why, there are more, but just for here we'll mention two reasons why we say Bismillah in the name of Allah. Number one, we do it out of At-Tawassul. To seek a means of nearness to Allah. Oh Allah, I'm begging you to help me. I'm begging you to help me. And I'm doing so by mentioning your names. I'm, I'm using your names as a means to get my dua accepted. As a means to get near to you. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا to Allah belong the perfect names. So call upon Allah by those names. Use Allah's names in your dua. So that's the first reason we say Bismillah. To use Allah's names in our dua. As a means of tawassul. To get near to Allah. To get our dua accepted. The second is At-Tabarruk. Seeking Barakah. That, oh Allah, I am asking you to bless my recitation, to bless my tafsir, to bless my study, to bless my action, to put blessings by your names, by mentioning your names. What's the evidence for that? Blessed is the name of your Lord. Blessed is the name of your Lord. Allah's names come with barakah. 
Allah's names come with barakah. So we mention the names of Allah to get barakah in our recitation, and we mention the names of Allah to get our dua accepted. There's two reasons why we say Bismillah. Now this word ism here, name, it doesn't mean one name. It means all of the names of Allah Azza wa It doesn't mean one name. It means all of the names of Allah. Imam Al-Sa'di, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, I begin with every name that belongs to Allah the Exalted. And then he mentioned that there's a grammatical, there's an Arabic reason why that's the case, but we're not going to go too much into that because we don't want to get too much into Arabic grammar. But there's a reason why the word ism here, it means all of Allah's names. It covers all of Allah's names. Every single one of Allah's names. Among them, we're going to single out three names for special mention. Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So when we say Bismillah, we're asking Allah's help. We're asking Allah to put barakah in our action. We're asking Allah to accept our dua by mentioning all of his names. And we're going to single out three special names to mention. And they are Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. I'm going to cover the meaning of those names next week when we do Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So we'll leave that aside for the moment. But I have a question that I want you to think about just for a second. If the meaning of Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is, Oh Allah, I seek your help by mentioning your names, seeking the blessings of your names, out of which I'm going to mention three special names Allah, Ar Rahman, Ar Rahim. What are we seeking Allah's help for? Or what are we seeking Allah's help in? There is a reason why nothing is mentioned after Bismillah. For example, we don't say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Aqra in the name of Allah I recite. And we don't say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Ufassir in the name of Allah I perform tafsir or I, con I carry out tafsir. And we don't say Bismillahi Adrus, I study. Why do we not mention any of these things? So that the word can, or the phrase can cover everything that we do. Because in Surah Al-Fatiha, there's lots of things you're doing. You're reciting, you're thinking, reflecting, studying, understanding, implementing, acting, making dua. Lots of things you're doing at the same time. So you want to cover all of them. And for that reason, there is no verb mentioned with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. It's left open to cover every single thing that you need from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah Al-Fatiha and in everything else. But there is one small thing that we'll mention right at the end, which I believe is important. And that is be careful that their sunnah is sometimes to say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. But in most of the actions that we conduct in, on a daily basis, apart from reciting the Qur'an, the sunnah is to say Bismillah and stop there. So for example, some people make a mistake when they eat, 
they say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim before they eat. And we don't know of any sunnah for this. The sunnah is to say Bismillah and stop. As for Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, there are certain situations in which this is the correct form of the basmala to use. And of course, the most obvious of those is in reciting the Quran. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So we need to distinguish, you know, when the daily things you do, when you go into the masjid, out of the masjid, and you know that these kind of like, when you eat and drink, these kind of daily actions you do, the sunnah is to say Bismillah and stop there. That's enough for us to, inshallah, to, to have got thinking and, and it's enough for us this week, inshallah ta'ala. Bi'idhnillah, we're going to have to go quite uh, quickly through the tafsir. So inshallah ta'ala, the plan is to finish Surah Al-Fatiha by the end of next week. And then inshallah to start from Surah Al-Nas and to go through Juz Amma and Juz Tabarak backwards. And the reason for going through it backwards is, first of all, this is what my Sheikh uh, told me to do. Uh, it's what I saw from my Sheikh, the way he taught me, uh, is that he also, for the first five or four, four and a half, five juz, he went backwards from the back of the Quran. And that makes sense because it starts with the very small surahs and it gets harder, progressively harder. Whereas if you start from mulk then it becomes, you're, you're getting easier as you go along. You're starting with the hard surahs and getting easier. So I think it makes sense to start from Surah An-Nas and to go onwards until we get to the end of, or the beginning of just Tabarak, inshallah. So that's the plan. As for the recommended reading material, I'm primarily going to take the tafsir from three sources, inshallah ta'ala. Mostly three sources. The first is the tafsir of Imam al-Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala. And this is available in English and for the juz that we are doing, that is juz tabarak and juz amma and surah al-fatiha, it's actually very easy to pick up. You can pick it up from Dar al-Salam in Sharjah. They have it uh, in, I think, just one volume or two volumes, small books. You can pick up the tafsir of Imam al-Sa'di. I think they spell it S-A-A-D-I, Al-Imam Al-Sa'di. We're also going to be taking from the tafsir of a Sheikh bin Uthaymeen, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And likewise, finally, and in fact, we probably should have started the other way around, but uh, the tafsir of Al-Baghawi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. This is a classical tafsir, Imam Al-Baghawi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And it's also one of the shorter books of tafsir, inshallah. So from these three books, uh, we're going to be dipping in and taking the tafsir. As far as I'm aware, only tafsir al-Sa'di is available, out of those three, is available in English. As far as I'm aware, only tafsir al-Sa'di out of those three is available in English. You're more than welcome also to read from Ibn Kathir as well, inshallah. But I think that Ibn Kathir will be too complicated for the time that we have. The time that we have is too short to cover Ibn Kathir, because Ibn Kathir is a very detailed tafsir. It has a lot of details in it, inshallah. So that's how we're going to do it, inshallah. Today was just an introduction to tafsir and the virtues of learning the Quran and the very, very beginning of Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. 
And inshallah ta'ala next week will be the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha proper and then backwards as we said from Surah Al-Nas. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share and you can visit muhammadtim.com.